We talk about the gospel a lot. I mean, we talk about it all the time. We have people, I want to hear people share the gospel. We talk about uh, the importance of the gospel. We talk about how the gospel is not just good for salvation, but the gospel is, is our foundation for how we live. It, it's foundation for, foundational for how we love our lives, how we raise our kids, where we work, how we interact with other people, how we go in and about our business from ta- day to day. The gospel should be foundational for all of that, every bit of that. This is why we preach the gospel week after week after week after week. And I say this before and I will say it again. If, if, one of, if there's somebody that fills this pulpit and they preach to you and they, you do not hear the gospel, we need to know about that. This is Paul's command. Is preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. So here's my question for you this morning. It has to do with the gospel. How can someone be saved? Or how can one know or be sure that they are saved? That's probably one of the most crucial questions that, that I can ask or that someone can ask. It's crucial. So how would you answer that, that question if... If someone came up to you and go, how can I be saved? Or how can I, I be sure that, that I'm saved? Your response will be, well, believe in the gospel or believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, right? This would be a, a fair response, right? But let me ask you this, what, is, what does that mean? Could you unpack that? How does someone know that they are right with God, and and how would you share the truth of the gospel with someone? How? You thought about that? This is what I think. Um, I think sometimes we do one of two things when it comes to the gospel. First thing is, is I think we overcomplicate it. I think we overcomplicate the gospel. In fact, I think we add things to the gospel that, that God never intends uh, because we don't see that in Scripture. Here's, here's what I mean. Sometimes maybe we put some unbiblical restrictions or qualifications uh, on salvation of someone trusting in the gospel of who Jesus is. Maybe we think to ourselves, maybe, maybe you just need to, get right, you need to get right before you come to the Lord. You clean yourself up. All right? Kind of talked about that last week a little bit, right? Or maybe, maybe, uh, maybe we need to see some miraculous gift in you before you can, you can be saved. Or, or maybe you have to be baptized before, uh, before you, you are saved, before God would save you. Or maybe we need to know how to exegete Romans 9. There's a couple people that will laugh at that. Or, here's the other thing that I think that we do. Sometimes I think that we over simplify the gospel. We say, we ask the question, hey, you don't want to go to hell, do you? I don't think there's a person here that would answer yes to that question. But simply asking someone if they don't want to go to hell does not save them. You have to have the gospel there. We say, hey, you don't want to go to hell, do you? If you don't want to go to hell, just ask Jesus into your heart or raise your hand or repeat a prayer and and, and you're saved, or, or check a box, or, or, or get, get, go get wet in a baptistry and sign up for kids' ministry. You're saved. 
I don't see that in this book. That's not how one is saved. Because here's the thing, in those things, there's nothing about the severity of your sin and your separation from God and the wrath that you deserve because of that. There's nothing in that about repentance and lordship of Christ in your life. The truth is, the gospel is a simple message, but we don't need to oversimplify it to make it palatable to people. The gospel is offensive, and I think you've heard that from us before. The gospel is offensive. Men are killed because of the gospel. Christ himself was crucified because of the gospel. But it's a message that everyone needs. In our passage today, we're going to see some crucial elements of the simple gospel message and and just how God works to save people. I've been walking through the book of Acts, and and I'll kind of give you a a catch you up. We're going to be in Acts chapter, chapter 10, verses 34 through 48, but... Last week, we talked about the first part of Acts chapter 10. And let me, let me kind of give you just what's going on so you don't have to read it real quick. I'll kind of give you the cliff notes of what's going on there in the beginning of Acts chapter 10. Peter, you guys know Peter, this guy. He was a, uh, one of the disciples. He hung out with Jesus uh, in, in Jesus' inner circle. He loved the Lord. He, he denied Jesus there in the, uh, the temple courts when, when Jesus was on trial. And, and he felt that. But Jesus said, hey, I prayed for you. And, and when you were restored. Lord, encourage your brothers. He told them all of these things, and he watched Christ be crucified, and he met Jesus, the resurrected Christ. He knows all of these things, and, and, and the church is born in Acts chapter 2, and Peter's the one that preached this great message where thousands came to know Jesus. He just preached the gospel to all of these Jews and these proselytes. He preached all of that to them, and, and he's kind of focusing his ministry on Jewish people because at the time, people thought, well, Jews, they're God's chosen people, but what we saw last week was God changed things, begin to change things for Peter. There's more than just Jews that God is calling to himself to be saved. And one of these guys was a guy named Cornelius, a Roman soldier, a centurion. He was a Gentile. He wasn't a Jew. He wasn't even a a really good proselyte. But the scripture says that he was devout and he prayed and he gave alms and he was faithful. But he wasn't saved. He wasn't, but God was working on his heart, and, and, and he's doing this. He has this vision that, that this angel comes to him and says, Hey, Cornelius, I want you to go, and I want you to send for a guy named Peter. He's down in Joppa. I want you to go and send some guys and go and get him. I want you to bring him back, but see, he's going to tell you some things that you need to hear about who I am, about who Christ is. He doesn't necessarily tell him that. He says, Go get Peter. Peter's got something to say. Peter's down at Joppa. He's at the Simon the Tanner's house which is pretty ironic. We talked about that last week too. It's an unclean place, but Peter's there and he's up on the roof and he's praying and he gets hungry and, and God gives him this vision of this, this sheet that's being lowered down by all four corners and, and in this sheet or, or this, this thing like a sheet are all kinds of animals, clean and unclean. And God says, rise Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, no, 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 God, I don't do that. Those things are unclean. I know the law. I'm not supposed to touch those things. God tells him three different times, Peter, what I call clean, you do not call uncommon. Peter says, okay, Lord. He's wondering about all this. 
And about that time, there's a knock on the door. And guess who it is? It's these guys sent by Cornelius. It says, hey, this guy Cornelius has sent us. He's a Roman centurion. But he says he saw a vision that we are supposed to come and get you and bring you back. And, and you have something to say. And Peter says, come on in, boys. We'll head out tomorrow. And what we see here is Peter laying down his tradition, his preconceived notions, and he goes with them. He goes with them to these Gentiles. And what we see in our text today is a beautiful picture of how Peter just unpacks the gospel to these guys. Now, remember, Peter's been preaching to a bunch of Jews that they, they kind of knew some of the word and kind of knew the traditions and everything. These are Gentiles. They don't, they don't know everything. And Peter... Peter just simply shares with them this gospel message. And there's some things I'll, I think we can definitely learn from what we see Peter share. You guys have your Bibles open, Acts chapter 10? We've got two people. We've got about 10 seconds. Acts chapter 10, start verse 34. We're going to read God's word here. So Peter, now he's, he's there. He's with these guys. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, everyone who fears him and does what is right and right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know that Know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism of, that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he, after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that, that he is the appointed one by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold? Water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you for today. It's the Lord's day. It's your day. In fact, every day is your day, Father. But this is the day that we gather and, and we remember and we celebrate your resurrection. Your freedom that you grant us through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ our King. Father, I pray that we pondered, and we know this today, Lord. I ask that you would 
you would just open our eyes to the clarity of the good news of who Jesus is, that it is all the work of you. And Father, may we trust in that. May we find great joy in that. May we be overwhelmed with, with adoration for who you are. Father, pray that, that you would free our hands and our feet and our mouths to go and to speak and share the good news of Jesus. Father, help us. Help us to be who you have created us to be. Father, just pierce our hearts this morning. And Father, I pray, I pray that you would make my words clear today. Oh God, help me today. May your spirit fall here today. Just as it did as we just read. Father, we love you and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' holy and precious name that we pray. Amen. Peter comes to this group of Gentiles and he says, hey, I'm here to tell you some great stuff. I'm here to tell you what you need. And, and it's interesting, it's interesting that, that God chose to bring Peter there. As I shared last week, this angel came to Cornelius. The angel could have told him who Jesus is. But that's not how God works. We see, we'll see over and over and over again through the book of Acts that God chooses and uses his people to share his message to bring about reconciliation and restoration and salvation. God does that, and he does it through his people. And I don't know about you guys, that's pretty exciting. It's really exciting that God would so choose to use broken, fallible people to divinely and sovereignly call other people to himself that they would inherit salvation. They would believe in Jesus. And this is what we see here. But here's the thing. We've got to get it right. And there's some things I think that we can see here and that we can understand here in what Peter shares. Now, Peter comes to these folks. And it says that Cornelius was a devout man. He prayed and he gave alms and all of these things. But he wasn't, he wasn't saved. And here's the first thing that we need to see here. If you're looking at your worship guide, it's right there. It says, right motives do not save. Your right motives, you can have great motives, but they don't save. Because here's the thing. When Peter arrives there, all, uh, uh, there uh, there's all of these people. People that most people would consider, these are good people, right? They're good people. They're gathered together trying to do something right, but they're not saved people. They're not. We see evidence in our text today. They're not saved yet, but we see how God saves them through this, through the preaching of Peter. If, here's the thing. If, if they were saved, if people, someone would say, well, Josh, yeah, but I think they were saved. Why was Peter there then? Why did he preach this then? If they were saved, why did the Spirit fall then if they were already saved? What we see here is these folks had, they had the right motives, but what they lacked was the truth of the gospel. They needed to hear, they needed to hear the truth of the gospel. And they needed to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. And, and here's the thing, church. We have to under, we need to be passionate about this. We need to, this needs to get in the marrow of our bones and understand this, that people need to be lovingly confronted with the gospel. Thank you. You can amen, okay? People need to be confronted with the gospel. And people will tell you, well, you're just not loving. No, that is just the opposite. If I hated you, I would never share the gospel with you. 
But because I love you, we preach the gospel. That's it. We share the gospel. We need to know. Then we need to know all of the gospel. We need to share all of it. We need to talk about sin and what it does. We need to know the severity of sin. It doesn't need to be avoided. We need to talk about faith and we need to talk about submission to the authority of Jesus as our Savior and Lord. Not just Savior, but that He is our Lord. Those things need to be communicated. It has to, or we miss the gospel. Here's the thing. People being very sincere or having good motives do not save. They don't save. And church, we have to understand this. We can look at people and go, they don't know Jesus, but they're such a good person. Well, if that's our definition, good people will spend eternity in hell if they don't know the gospel and trust in Jesus. There's a lot of professing Christians. I did a little bit of internet study today. And, and, and here's some good website is Ligonier. It's a, such a fantastic website. There's teachings. All kinds of great articles, blogs, sermons, all kinds of stuff on there. This is what I found on, on their website there. This is a, a study that they did a while back. This is Ligonier. They said that 52% of professing believers say that people are basically good. I'm going to prove that wrong here in a moment. Well, God is. What that means is, is most Christians think if, if we just try our best and if we don't hurt anyone and, and we do the best that we can to do some good deeds, that they'll outweigh our bad and, and we'll inherit salvation. 52% of professing Christians is what this study revealed. The study also revealed that 51% of professing Christians said that God accepts all forms of worship because their motives are good. That's a lie. And I tell you that because I love you. That is a lie. That is a lie. The first commandment. Have no other gods before me. God's saying, don't worship anything else. You worship me. They're just not true. Let me prove it to you. Let God prove it to you. Psalm 14, 2 and 3. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good. None, not even one. That's all of us. And I think as we read these verses here, this should pierce something in our heart that, that there are people that don't seek after God. They are corrupt. All of them. Your neighbor. The lady that checks you out at the grocery store. Your dentist. If they don't know Jesus, they're not seeking for him. Somebody needs to come and tell them that. This should, this should just promote some urgency in us that know Jesus. Because people are not good. Our definition of good is relative. God's definition is not relative. God's definition of good is based on, on who He is, not what we think we can be. John 14, 6, Jesus said to them that I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Kind of blows that 51% statistic out of the water, doesn't it? 
This is what the Bible teaches. And I'd love to sit down with you if you have questions. I'd love to, I'll spend, I'll spend as much time as you want talking about this. The Bible teaches that salvation is by grace through faith and faith alone. Not by works. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It tells us it's by grace through faith that we're saved. And it tells us that we're not good. But God is and He comes and He saves. So our good intentions or our good motives don't save Jesus saves. That's what happens here. Peter knew that salvation was by grace through faith. But he kind of struggled with this. We see this in, in leading up to our text today. He wrestled with it. Even today, he kind of wrestled with this. Yeah, I know that, that, that salvation is grace through, by, by grace through faith, but, but he initially believed that, that one ha- first had to become a Jew. They had to do something, had to do a work. But what God shows him here, this is what we see. Verse 34, so Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. It's a beautiful thing there. Peter goes, I get it now. The gift of grace through faith was for the Gentiles as well. Any Jews by birth here? We're all Gentiles. Praise God for this text, amen? Yeah, you can amen that. Praise God for that, right? This is what we see here. Beautiful picture here. Salvation is by grace through faith and not by good works or really good people or really good intentions. You can sincerely, here's the thing, you can sincerely believe that you're taking really healthy medicine and it be poison and it will not matter, will it? Good intentions won't do you any good. What you need is the truth. You need the truth and we're going to talk about the truth this morning. You need the truth. Well, here's some more truth. We think about, well, well how do I get this truth? How do, I, how do the people come? If nobody's seeking for God, how does that work? God works. God works. Here's the second thing. It is the Spirit of God that works in the hearts of sinners. Our, our text says that Peter opened his mouth and said, God shows no partiality that every nation, anyone who fears him, who does what is right and acceptable to him. Well, here's, here's the thing. How does, how does one know why or how or what it looks like to fear God? How does one know what is right and acceptable to God? Who's acceptable to God? That's a big question. You ever thought about that? Like, how do I know if I'm acceptable to God? What, what does this mean? I kind of did a word study on this. The meaning uh, here in the Greek, the meaning of acceptable here in the Greek means marked by a favorable manifestation of the divine pleasure. Let me tell you what that means, okay? It means something miraculously divine must happen in your heart in order to be saved. It means God has to work. God has to work. God must open your eyes. To see the truth and believe. God has to show you your sin and your separation from Him. But He also has to show you His grace and His mercy through Christ and what He's done for you. He draws you to Himself. He opens our eyes to see that it's a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. Let me prove it to you. John 16, 8. This is what the Holy Spirit does. We're going to talk more about the Holy Spirit later this morning. But this is in salvation. 
John 16, 8, and when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. This is what the Holy Spirit does. Through this conviction, we see our sinfulness. We see it. Otherwise, we're blinded to it. And we're blinded to the work of God. We don't see it without God God's seeing that. What, what we do is, is without this, without the working of the Holy Spirit, we just compare our sins to somebody else. Well, I didn't kill anybody today. I guess I'm pretty good. But our sins that we commit are against the holy and righteous God. And this is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin against a holy and righteous God. This is what the Holy Spirit, when you grieve your sin, it's not like, oh man, I shouldn't have done that. It should be, oh God. As David says, against you and you alone have I sinned. Let me prove this to you. 2 Corinthians 4, Paul talks about this. It's God that works. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 through 6. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but is Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as, as your servants for Jesus' sake. Listen, look at verse 6. Look at verse 6. This is where we see it here. We're blinded, can't see it. The God of this world has blinded us. But God says, for God who said, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in, in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It doesn't say, Josh said, let light shine in my heart. It says, God. God. It's amazing. I don't know about you guys, have you ever sit and ponder this? You ever sit and ponder this, that the, the creator of all things, the one that spoke everything into being, the one that always has been, always will be, commands everything, holds everything together, knows you, speaks to your heart, comes to you personally, individually, and says, I want you to know me and my glory. I will open your eyes and draw you to my... Does, does that blow your mind? To be honest, I don't, I don't understand how all that works. Praise God it does. Paul calls it a mystery. Praise God he works that way. We see it here too, verses 44 and 45. You see this? The Holy Spirit falls on them. Well, Peter was, he was still preaching, still preaching, saying these things. The Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers among them, the circumcised, these Jews that came along with Paul or Peter, they're, they're like, what is going on here? They received the gift of the Holy Spirit. It was poured out even to the Gentiles. It's the Holy Spirit working here. Salvation is a gift from God through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the proclamation of the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus. What's the gospel? And Paul does, or Peter does a really good job of unpacking it here. I call this... This is the brass tacks of the gospel. I'm going to share the gospel with you. Can I share the gospel with you this morning? That'd be okay? Let's share the gospel with you this morning. It's the brass tacks of the gospel, or I call it the all-encompassing sufficiency of Jesus. This is what Peter unpacks here. A text says that Peter opened his mouth, and out came the gospel message. It's 
brass tacks to the gospel message. And here's where we see it. First brass tack. It's rebellion against the good authority of God. This is our depravity. We're, we're sinners. We've kind of covered this a little bit. The gospel is the message of peace. What Peter says here, it's the message of peace. Because this is a message of peace. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing. We, why, does, why does it have a message of peace? Because there's not peace between us and God without the gospel. There's not. It doesn't happen. Without the gospel, there is no peace with God. Without the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and our, our entrusting in that, there is no peace with God. Because of your sin, you are fallen and you're an enemy of God. Romans 5.10 tells us this, we are enemies of God. And enemies do not have peace with one another. Let me tell you something, you don't want to be an enemy of God. You will not win. Our sin has separated us from the good graces of God. We've rebelled against His good authority, His good and right authority. And because of that rebellion, there's not peace, but the gospel, the gospel comes. The gospel comes. This is the first thing about the gospel. We need to know that we're enemies of God. We need to know about our sin and our rebellion against God. We need to know about those things. People need to hear that. They need to hear that. Not that just Jesus loves you. They need to hear that without the gospel and faith in Christ, you're an enemy of God. You're still in rebellion against His good authority. People need to hear that. Here's the next thing that they need to hear. They need to hear who Jesus is. I call this the deity of Jesus. Peter, Peter, Peter unpacks this a little bit. Peter says that Jesus is Lord of all. He's the Lord of all. It's in parentheses there, but, but I like that. Preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. He is Lord, meaning that He is the creator and sustainer of all things. He is God, the second person of the Godhead. He came. He's fully God, fully man. Endured everything for us. This is, this is it. We need to know the deity of Jesus. Jesus wasn't just a guy that came. He is God. He is Emmanuel. Christ he is God in the flesh. Paul tells us this in Colossians 1. I have a lot of scripture today. I believe the Bible interprets the Bible. So I have a lot of scripture. So just hang with me. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. It says this, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And let me stop there for just a second. That doesn't mean that Christ was born. He was created. He always has been. What that firstborn of all creation means is he has all authority of God the Father. When this was originally written, that's what that would mean, that he has all authority of the Father. It says, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Jesus is God in the flesh that came and is the perfect Lamb of God. The sacrifice that covers our sin. The deity of Jesus. 
There is no perfect sacrifice without God being that sacrifice. We have to talk about who Jesus is. A lot of people will tell you that Jesus is a God. I can argue from the Bible that He is not a God. He is the God. Remember, first commandment, have no other gods before me. Do not worship or bow down to them. And we see all throughout the New Testament that Jesus is worshipped. He's worshipped. People fall on their faces. We worship Jesus this morning. The reason why we do is because He is the God, the second person of the triune God. The life of Jesus. Talk about this. This is important too. We need to talk about this with the gospel. Peter does this too. Peter points out that Jesus is is real. Not a fairy tale. He reminds him of his earthly ministry. He says, hey, you guys have heard what he's done. You know all of these things from baptism of John. You guys know this. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. That's important when he says that healing all who were oppressed by the devil. This is really important because what this means is Jesus didn't just have the power to heal physical ailments. But he, he came and he heals all that plagues mankind, not just simply physical ailments, but he, he, demon possession, spiritual darkness, which would what every person suffers from apart from Christ is spiritual darkness. Jesus heals that. Jesus is without sin, and all that he does is good, and he demonstrated that in his earthly, sinless ministry. He showed him. People saw this. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He's perfect. Peter tells us he's God. He's Emmanuel, God with us. He has all authority and power. Yet he clothed himself in flesh and became a man. Here's the beautiful thing about, about who Christ is. He's the God that knows you. He knows your struggles. He knows your joys. He knows all things about you. He doesn't just empathize. He sympathizes with us. He knows your struggles and your suffering and your pain and your trials. Because he experienced every one of them. To a such greater degree than you ever will. He knows. He knows. He's our high priest. He's our sacrificial lamb. He's the one that intercedes for us. He knows us. This is his life. He came and did all of this. And the writer of Hebrews tells us this in Hebrews 4, 14 and 15. says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. This Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. This is our Jesus. This is the life of Jesus. So when you sit there and you think, well, God, you don't know what I'm going through, don't you dare say that. Don't you dare, because He knows. 
Here's the next thing that we have to understand is the death of Jesus. We have to talk about the death of Jesus. And I love how Peter simply puts it. They crucified him. They hung him on a tree. They, they put him on a cross. He dies by hanging on a tree. There, there's such great significance in this simple statement. It means that Christ died in our place. His death was meant for us. If your faith is in Christ, Christ's death was meant for you and for me. It was meant for us. He took the curse of death because of sin for all that would believe in him. He went to the cross. He went there in your place. He died the death that you deserve. That's why we say this every week. In church, this should, this should crush us and, and bring our... Bring us to our knees in absolute worship that Christ Jesus would go to the cross knowing your sin and knowing what He would take willingly. It should cut us deep. It should cut us deep. Before you committed a sin, Christ went to the cross knowing your sin that you would commit. And God's wrath was poured upon him. Church, what does this do? What does this stir something in us? Does it stir a sense of worship? That the God-man would die for you? Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And he was buried for three days. And the grave that he was buried in was meant for us. But Jesus took it instead. Now let's get to the good part. Y'all ready? Yeah, come on. It's just three days, right? Let's talk about the resurrection of Jesus. Peter talks about this too. Peter, Peter just simply shares the gospel with these Gentiles. Peter says that God raised him on the third day, and people are witness to this. Jesus is victorious over eternal death for all who believe. He is the one that has done this, not us. Christ overcame the grave. He won on our behalf. It's true. It's so good. Because here's the thing. If, if Christ was still in the grave, we have no hope. We have no hope. The grave is not empty. If Christ wasn't resurrected, we would have absolutely no hope. We're still dead in our sins. Our, our death was not paid for. Eternal death was not covered. But Christ rose again. He rose again, overcoming the grave, the eternal grave that we deserve. Christ did that. And in, this is where we find life in Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 8. Little Paul says here, he says, For I delivered to you as first as of first importance that I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to, to the twelve, then he appeared 
appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, to the to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. This is Paul saying, there are over 500 people that met personally the resurrected Jesus Christ. That ate with him, talked with him, sat with him, visited with him. Christ is alive. He is alive. This is what we celebrate. It's all good news. But here's where we get to the meat of things. Do you believe it? Church, do you believe this? This is, this is where we get. This is belief in Jesus. Peter says all of Scripture and all authority point to Jesus as the Savior. And he says all who believe. Here's the thing. You can know this in your head. But if you don't believe it, you're not saved. word believe, here's what this word believe means. It's not just simple acknowledgement. Go, yeah, I kind of think that that's, seems plausible. No, that's not what he's talking about here. It's all who believe, all who believe. This word believe simply means to entrust. All who entrust who they are. All who entrust their hope, all of their hope. All who entrust all of their joy, all of their strength, all their identity, all of their lives to receive forgiveness. This is what it means to believe. It means to look at Jesus and go, you're all I got and you thank God you're enough. This is what it means to believe. What it means to believe is to trust in Jesus that if everything else falls apart, we have Christ. We have Christ. We have Jesus. He's the one that matters and if everything else falls apart, my world doesn't fall apart because this is not my world. My world is with Him. This is what it means to believe. We get peace. Peace with God and Jesus is the peacemaker. This means to turn from your sinful, selfish ways. This means to turn from, I want to be God. I want a God that I control and tell Him what to do and to bless me. And yeah, I'll pray, but I want Him to bless my my direction and my plans. It's not what it means to believe. It means to trust in God and go, God, I want to trust in you with all that I have. That's what it means to believe in Jesus. Embrace the joy that that is forgiveness bought by Jesus. What this means is you repent. It means that you turn. Turn from the ways that you were. Turn from your sin and put your hope and trust in Christ. It doesn't mean that you're perfect. It means that you trust in the one that is. thinking, well, Josh, I, I, I get that. I believe that. But I'm not sure I'm saved. Peter gives us a few marks of salvation. There's two. There's more, I think. But, but these are two. They're very important. I want to just share those with you. There's actually three. The first one is this, the indwelling Holy Spirit. I asked the beginning, at the beginning, how can, can one be sure they are saved? And we see the answer to that here as well. Verse 44 says that the Spirit fell on all, fell on them that received the gift, they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit fell on them, indwelled them. Now I want you to know this passage doesn't 
does not teach that the mark of, of having the indwelling Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. Because we see other people that don't do that. Paul even talks about this. There's some that don't. But here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I think what, what, what happened here, because these were Jewish people that were really skeptical about these Gentiles coming to faith. Remember on Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost? Remember that? Remember that when the Holy Spirit fell on them? Remember what happened? You can go back and read Acts chapter 2, what happened? The, the Holy Spirit fell on them, and they spoke in tongues. It wasn't a gibberish. It was, it was a language that people could hear and understand. About like me getting up here and speaking fluent French to a bunch of French people. I don't know French. But sharing the gospel, this is what this means here. It doesn't mean that you, you don't have the Holy Spirit if you don't speak in tongues. It doesn't mean that. I'm going to give you proof, and you can examine your lives here in just a moment. If you can tell the Holy Spirit is in you. I believe the Spirit granted this on this occasion as a visible sign that He indwelt these Gentiles. Now, you need to know this. There is no salvation without the indwelling Holy Spirit. Paul says this in Romans 8, 9. You, however, not, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. There can be no such thing as a Christian without the Holy Spirit, since it is essential to the Christian life. Let me prove this to you. That's what the Bible says about the Christian life and the indwelling Holy Spirit. It's not only the conviction of sin, but the Spirit grants us power to witness. Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit gives us power to be a witness. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I think so often as Christians, we're so afraid to share the gospel because we're relying on our own strength. This is where that fear comes in. Well, I'm not sure what my neighbor's going to think, or I'm not sure what my boss will say if I'm sharing the gospel with my coworker, or I don't know what to say. Here's the thing. Trust in the Holy Spirit. Yeah, be prepared. Know you the word. Pray about those things. But here's the thing. Trust in the Holy Spirit. Because here's the thing, it, it gives us, this, it, it tells us it will give us power to be a witness in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. It, let me tell you this too, parents, your Jerusalem is your home. You need to be a witness for the gospel in your home. Your Judea may be your neighbors or your work, and uh, your Samaria to the ends of the earth, it goes out from there, but it begins there. That's the Holy Spirit does, one of those things. Do you know that the Holy Spirit helps us to pray? It grants us power to pray, Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. You ever been there and going, God, I don't even know how to pray? It's the Holy Spirit working in you. It's the third person of the Trinity taking up residence in us. I love this too. The Holy. This is just a few. There's, there's numerous things, and and I didn't have time this morning. I'd share more. But the Holy Spirit indwelling a believer, it helps us. The Holy Spirit is our helper. John 14 verses 16 and 17. And I will ask the Father. This is Jesus speaking. I'll ask the Father, and He will give you another helper, meaning the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the word, the world cannot receive because of neither it sees Him nor knows Him. Yet you know Him, for He dwells within you and will be with you. He helps us. He guides us. And I love this one. This one, this one here, the Holy Spirit. 
assures us of salvation. Ephesians 1.14, the Holy Spirit is, is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to, to the praise of His glory. The Spirit working in our heart. I could go on and on, and I would love to share more about uh, what the Holy Spirit does in believers. There's more than that, but I, uh, for sake of time, I want to cover just two more marks of salvation here. And we see it in our text. Holy Spirit falls on them, these Gentiles. They see it. In the end of verse 46, Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Peter's saying, God save these folks. Let's be obedient to Jesus and baptize them. It's baptism. It's baptism. This is, God saved them. Let's baptize them. Baptism is important, and we, you guys know if you've been to a baptism ceremony, uh, service here, it's, it's a celebration. It's important. What we see here is, 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 is always in the New Testament, baptism follows salvation everywhere. Everywhere I've, I've studied this book in the New Testament, everywhere I see baptism, it, it follows a sharing of the gospel and people believing in that. Just so you guys remember, uh, maybe a month or so ago, we talked about Philip and the eunuch. Philip jumps up in this guy's chariot as he's going back uh, to Ethiopia. Guy's reading a scroll of Isaiah. He says, hey, do you know what you're reading? He goes, how can I if someone, well, someone doesn't tell me? So, so Philip jumps up in the chair with him, and, and he, he says he opens his mouth, and he shares with him about who Jesus is. There's evidence that this guy believes in who Jesus is, and, and, and obviously he told him about baptism. He goes, hey, stop the chariot. Here's water. I need to be baptized. It's the command of Jesus that we are to baptize believers. We are to do this. And we see that, that Philip and this eunuch, this eunuch believed in Jesus because at the end of that text, he, he went on his way rejoicing, rejoicing in the Lord. Now, we need to know this, but baptism, baptism plays no part in our salvation, but what it is is a public confession of an inner transformation of the heart. This is what baptism is, is telling the world that I've met Jesus. He has saved me. I've been washed clean. We talk about this every, every Lord's Supper. We talk about the taking of the Lord's. There's only two ordinances of the church, and that's taking of the Lord's Supper and baptism. These are the two things that Jesus says the church shall do. You shall take of the Lord's Supper, and you shall baptize new believers. Do those things. And we see this. If you have come to faith... In Christ, you need to be baptized. You need to proclaim to the world that Christ has saved you. If your faith is in Jesus, let's celebrate that. Let's declare to the world that God is who He says He is. And you do that through your baptism. It's a miraculous thing. Now I want you to know this too. If you, if you say, yeah, Josh, I want to be baptized. And I say, hey, we're going to have a baptism service here in a few weeks. That's great, but if Christ comes before then, know that you're secure. Because baptism doesn't save you. But what it is, is being obedient to Christ of saying, this is who Christ is to me. I take nothing away from the importance of baptism. But I'm not going to make it something that it's not. Remember Ephesians 2, 8, 9? 
but grace you're saved through faith, not by works, so no man can boast. Your baptism does not save you. That would be a work of you. It's a work of God. Let me finish this up. Here's the last thing. Continued growth. Look at the end of verse 48. I love this. Peter commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Look at this last sentence. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Why do you think they did that? Why do you think they did? Yes. Peter, tell us more. Man, tell us more. Tell us how, what does this look like for me to live as a Christian now? What does this look like for me to, to live as a believer, as a follower of Jesus? You know how. I don't know how. This is what these folks are probably saying. I'm, I imagine probably this is maybe how some of that conversation went. Hey, you got to tell us, how do we do this? How do I live as a, as a believer? What we see here is they had a desire for continued growth in their knowledge of following Jesus. Hey, how do I make the gospel evident in my my home? How do I make the gospel evident in my job? How do I make the gospel transformative of how I live? How do I do this? You ever ask those questions? Any, anybody here ever ask that question? Hey, how do I do this? Yes! Praise God for that. That's, a, that's the Holy Spirit working in you to, to draw you in. That's a mark of salvation. You have this desire to follow Jesus more. This desire was the mark of a new life. To put off the old life and trust it in Jesus. A true believer is marked with a genuine desire to grow in their relationship with Christ and other believers. That's what we see here. The gospel. It rocks our world. It should rock our world. I want to just close here this, this morning. I've gone long again. Sorry. I love Jesus. Man, I love the gospel. And I love you people. So I have four questions. Now, Saturday, as I sat, actually Friday morning, and I just prayed, God, what do you, how do you want me to land this? I just got to think about this. These are four questions that just came to mind. If I could, if I could sit down with any of you just personally and ask you these questions what I want to ask. Hey, what's the gospel? Man, tell me. I want, to hear, I want to hear it from you. I know it, but I want to hear it from you. I want to hear it because, because here's the beautiful thing. When I, when I hear people share the gospel, man, it fires me up. I'm like, yes, yes, I need to hear it. I don't need to just say it. I need to hear it. I need to be reminded all the time. I need to be reminded from you the goodness of who Christ is. I need to be reminded going, Josh, man, you were sin you're sinful and you were separated from, from God and God's wrath was upon you and this is what you deserved. I need to hear that. And then we see, but God, but God, but God being rich in mercy and love and the great love with which he loved you sent Christ to be in your place. I need to hear that because you know what it does? It stirs my affection for Jesus oh how quickly we forget so what is the gospel what is the gospel I, I encourage you at lunch today when you sit down ask your kids 
Hey, do you know what the gospel is? Let's talk about it. I gave you a cheat sheet today if you've got to worship God. Here's number two. What motivates you to make Jesus not ignorable? What is it that motivates you to make Jesus not ignorable? I praise the gospel. Here's number three. How is the Holy Spirit working in you? There's truth about the Holy Spirit. It can be quenched. It can be resisted. I don't know how that works, but the Bible says it, and I believe it. Maybe that's a good question we need to ask God in our quiet time. God, show me how your Spirit's working in me. Here's number four. How are you growing in your faith? I like to ask this question. I, I meet with several people throughout the week, and I like to ask this first question I ask. Hey, man, tell me, tell me what's God, what, God, what is God doing in your life? What's God done this week? That's what I like to ask. How are you growing in your faith? Here's the thing. We all should be growing in our faith. And the gospel should be precious to everyone here. My prayer that it is, but... But more than likely, the gospel is not precious to everyone here. And that terrifies me. It terrifies me that there are people, more than likely, sitting here with us today that don't know Jesus. They probably know about Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. I pray that they've met Him today. I prayed specifically for people today to meet Jesus. To know the one true king. The second person of the trinity that came and died for their sin. And my prayer is that they would put their hope and faith and trust in Christ today. I pray that the Holy Spirit is convicting them of their sin and showing them the beauty of Christ today. And that they run to Jesus. They run. And we as a church... Celebrate that and praise God for His salvation. Amen. Here's the thing. I'm going to pray here in just a moment and Mark's going to come up and we're going to sing and I think he's going to close us out too afterwards. But I want you to know this. I'm going to, I'm going to be done here in just a second. I'm going to set my stuff down right there and I'm going to go right over there. And I'll be there as long as you need me to be. Because if there's something that's working in your heart, if you're, maybe you came here today and going, Josh, I thought I knew Jesus, but I don't know Jesus. And we need to talk about this. Man, I, would, I want to have that conversation with you. Maybe you haven't been obedient to Jesus in baptism. Maybe you put your faith in Christ and, and you go, I haven't been baptized. And we need to talk about that. Let's, let's talk. Let's do that. Maybe, maybe you just need some, going, Josh, I just don't know what, what God wants me to do with my life. Let's pray about that as well. And I'm not the only one here that can have that conversation with you too. But my prayer is, is if, there's, if the Holy Spirit is working here this morning, do not leave him in that chair. Be obedient and trust in that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you again for this morning. I thank you for the grace that you have shown us even this morning. I thank you for the beauty that you show us to the truth of who Christ is. 
And Father, I pray that, that we, have, we have waited in the depths of the gospel this morning. My prayer is that we've waited in and we got it all over us. I pray that you would help us, O oh Lord, with your Holy Spirit, that you would convict us, that you would grow us, that you would challenge us to ponder the goodness of who you are and how you're working. But Father, deep down in my heart, my greatest prayer this morning is that you, you have saved today. I pray that you have called people unto yourself this morning, that you have, you have made stones, uh, hearts of stone into hearts of flesh today. And brought, God, I pray that you would use us to continue just to share the good news of who Jesus is, that you would continue to save. Lord, we love you and we thank you for all that you are and all that you do. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.